0: Welcome to Farscape Friday, episode 44B. We'll be discussing Farscape season two. I'm Kay here with my co-host Taz. Hello, let's get started. Welcome back. So, Taz, we just thought we would go through the season and talk about some favorite moments, least favorite moments, and some stuff that we're never going to get out of our head. So, what was your favorite episode from this season?
1: My favorite episode. Okay, so if we're talking like a one-off where it's one episode and not one of the trilogies, because there's two trilogies in season two, I have to say The Way We Weren't, which is episode five, and it's the one where we learn a lot about Aaron's backstory and a lot about Pilot's backstory. And I think what I adore about that episode is one it's incredibly intense. And we get this really deep broadening of the peacekeeper world that Aaron lived in and came from that we hadn't really gotten before. And what I love about that is we see how much Aaron has changed and yet also how much of the core person that Aaron is was already present even when she was a peacekeeper, you know? Like the depth of her caring about other people even if she couldn't admit admit it at the time, how much she cared about Velerik, how, what she was willing to do to get her her place back, and how much she regretted turning him in, in over it. And the other part of I love about it is we get to learn a lot about Pilot. I mean, Pilot is one of the secondary characters. He doesn't have as much screen time as many of the other main cast, and yet he has this really nice, complicated backstory of him wanting to go to the stars, and it just... Uh, I kind of relate to Pilot a lot because it's like wanting to go beyond your your hometown kind of thing. Because that was definitely me when I was growing up. And how his position is not as simple as it seems. Yeah. And then, of course, him and Aaron bonding through forgiveness, through going through this shared memory experience. It's just gets me every time so that's probably my favorite one-off episode
0: Ooh, I'm gonna have to agree with you for pretty much all the reasons that you just said I think earlier (laughs) when I was doing my like top five season two episodes it completely slipped my mind because it literally is just one of my favorite episodes of tv period like I enjoy everything about it it's really well paced it's got enough action because you've got kind of the frightening elements of when pilot shuts down Moya And gets really angry. And then you also have just all the rich character stuff that that Farscape does really well. In Dimey Dichotomy last week, I mentioned that I really enjoyed the flight scene in Dimey Dichotomy. Almost more than the action scenes in Liar's Guns and Money Part 3. Because it came with that like rich character stuff. There was like a lot of of drama to bite into. And I feel like that's exactly what The Way We Weren't gives you, is that the rich Mm -hmm. stuff along with the other reasons that we love Farscape, which is that it's just a good sci-fi TV show.
1: Yeah. I do kind of want to cheat and talk about the trilogies for a second Mm -hmm. here. Yeah, let's do it. (laughs) I think look at the Princess Trilogy mid-season, part one, part two, and part three, where we have the whole crew goes to the royal planet. I think that would be my second favorite collectively episode, if you count all three of them, because they are a complete story arc. And I love that one because it's, it's another broadening of the uncharted territories this time, the world building. And we also have the rich juiciness of Scorpius coming back in. You have Aaron going through this emotional arc of really realizing she has these feelings for Crichton that she doesn't know what to do with yet, but she wants to do something with it. You have the development of Dargo and Shiana's relationship. You have John and Dargo being BFF, which I love and you have Rigel getting to be the political the politician, and then you have the whole subplot with Stan becoming closer to Moya and Pilot through their trials with Kahalen. Mm-hmm. So that's my other favorite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I
0: guess. Actually, I don't know. I kind of want to talk to you about a theory that I've been developing since I've been thinking more about the end of this series the end of the series, the end of the season, which is that mm-hmm. I really think the look at the princess, the fundamental kind of takeaway from that was that always have hope, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like in a lot of ways, the Liars, Guns, and Money trilogy was kind of a repudiation of that. And I've kind of been playing with this. And the more I looked at it, the more contrasts I could find. Like in Look at the Princess, they pretty much only can rely on each other. Like it's about the crew really turning inward and just relying on only themselves they can only trust each other they can't trust anyone else even the one servant that seems to be very trustworthy they can't even trust john's future in-laws you know and yeah. then, at the and then in the *Liar's Guns and Money* trilogy, it's really about them turning outward, where they have to trust all these old enemies, and where Dargo really feels like he can't trust the crew anymore to be in his best interests. And at the same time, they're kind of faced with this uh, this idea of can we trust Dargo since he's going off and making these rash decisions on his own, and also about John not being able to trust them, not being able to trust John. You know, so it's all about this, like, lack of trust. And then also I was thinking about it and really, and look at the princess, like, John and Dargo's friendship is, like, the rock of that entire trilogy. Like, John and Aaron are kind of going through this thing, so she's not necessarily the one that's in his corner, but Dargo is the one whose sole focus is making sure Don survives, right? And then Mm -hmm. when you compare that to the Liars, Guns, and Money trilogy, the whole trilogy really is about, like, John and Dargo and Dargo being like, I can't trust you. And John kind of having to literally kill himself in order to get Dargo's trust back. And so I don't know, like the more I think about it, the more interesting it is that where they placed them in the series, because I feel like the look at the princess series, like trilogy really feels centered and it feels like good to have it right in the middle where, you know, everything feels like it's coming together kind of like it did at the end of season one and then to have mm-hmm. season two kind of end on this like, you know, trilogy where like the message is there is no hope, Scorpius will always win.
1: <laughs> yeah, I l- that's a really awesome way to think about these two kind of these opposite bookends, not bookends, but these opposite trilogies happening. And And also at the end of the season, John and Aaron's relationship is much more solid in contrast to where it was in the center of the mm-hmm. season. Yeah, that's, that's a really cool way to think about it. Because as I said in Dime Dichotomy, like, nothing happy happens in that episode. <laughs> <laughs> like, at all. The only fun part is when they get high off of the drugs that they're giving Boya. Yeah, right? <laughs> you know? It's like, it's just, it's just one terrible thing happening after another. And it feels inevitable, too, because it all grows organically out of this whole season that they've built with the Scorpius storyline and the chip in John's head and... That, I think, is one of the reasons that I love this season so much, despite how it ends in this really low note, is that you have this really, really subtle storyline that starts and Crackers Don't mm-hmm. Matter, where we have John hallucinating Scorpius and thinking it's just hallucinations. And then, you know, by the time we get to look at the princess and beware of dog, he's actually seeing Scorpius in the corner of his eye. He can't kill Scorpius. And it just keeps building and building, won't get fooled again. And then we have him losing control in Liar's Guns and Money and full control in dime Dichotomy. Yeah. And I just, the subtlety of it, I don't know, it just works so well. And that's one thing I just adore about how dark this show gets sometimes. Yeah, Well, because I feel like there's a lot of shows that will just do darkness
0: because it kind of feels like, like, ooh, that's deep. That's heavy when you're dark. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I always feel like... <laughs> darkness! I know, right? <laughs> Sorry.
1: (laughs) Lego Batman.
0: (laughs) Right? Like, okay. I'll be honest. That's one reason that I I didn't go see Batman versus Superman. Because I'm like, wow. I super do not want to watch a Batman movie where, like, the entire message is that, like, It's completely hopeless. Let me beat up on the guy that Mm -hmm. in the comics is kind of my best friend. And like, (laughs) I don't know. It's just, I find, I find this kind of like focus on like darkness equaling better can be kind of problematic, which actually I want to mention when I did a shout out on Twitter to see kind of what everybody's favorite episode was from the season, uh, you almost unanimously the favorite episode was Crackers Don't Matter.
1: Yeah. That one I gotta say, that's still one of my favorite episodes, too. Like, if it weren't for the way we weren't, it probably would be one of my also top episodes. And I think what's so good about Crackers is that it has this combination of being super dark, but being super funny, and having this contrast between that, that actually works in a way that doesn't feel completely, I don't know, bad wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, there's a few very dark, dark moments with, you know, John threatening to rape Chiana. And we've talked a little bit, um, and there's some great meta that's going around about, you know, how much is Scorpius influencing John at that moment. But the fact that it is so dark, and yet it has some of the funniest moments of the entire season in it, you Yeah, know? And I think that contrast just is really both a little bit iconic of Farscape in terms of the tone that the show carries throughout its general season or the general tone of the show, because not ep- every episode is like that. Obviously, mm-hmm. when I was a kid or teenager, when I first saw it, I mean, I like wore out my tape rewatching. Crackers don't matter. <laughs> it is really good. It's like a good episode because it's it's paced
0: really well. The setup is really smart. The setup is very far step. Yeah. And and I think you're yeah. right that it crackers don't matter is an excellent example of the tone that the show takes, where it's like we're gonna do dark stuff. But unlike being just this constant barrage of darkness, it acknowledges that pretty much no one's life is just a constant barrage of darkness. There are also moments of beauty and there are moments of comedy. And even if it's Mm -hmm. like gallows humor a lot of times, it can be very, very funny. So were there any episodes you hated this season?
1: Yes. And it took me reading back through the the list and I looked up the list of episodes just to remind myself. Uh, My Three cartons. I hate that episode. Yeah. I'm just going to say it hate it. This is a terrible (laughs) episode. The other ones that I I don't like as much in this season, like Picture if you will, I think is weaker, but I don't find it unwatchable. And The Locket is also not one of my favorites, but I also don't hate it. Like it's a fine episode. I just I just don't have the same love for it that Mm -hmm. you do, which is fine. But my three Crichtons, I mean that's up there with whatchamacallit Jeremiah Crichton uh, back and back and back Back and back to the back of the future in Jeremiah Crichton. Yeah. Yeah. I will go with you. I had completely forgotten about my three
0: Crichtons. Oh my gosh. <laughs> See, you flapped it from your memory because it was so oh, bad. So <laughs> it was just so terrible. It was yeah. I can't I, I think I'm just gonna leave it at it was so terrible because otherwise I'm just gonna start <laughs> shouting about it again. But I also wanna give a huge shout out to Picture, if you will. Because that episode was awful and pointless. And I literally felt like it it just felt not like Farscape. It felt like a different TV show. And also, I'm like, why do you keep wasting, like, why do they keep wasting their tropes? Right? Because they, like, wasted their time Mm -hmm. travel trope with back and back and back to the future. And then now here they wasted the everybody dies but not really trope with, you know, Mm -hmm. picture if you will. (laughs) <laughs> like, these are good tropes these are solid tropes you know yeah well they do come back to the time travel one later so they re- I feel like they redeem themselves yeah with that. kind of it's not like the same kind of time travel though
1: it's not the same kind of time travel it's true but yeah picture if you will I guess yeah I just I don't care about Maldus at all and I guess the the redeeming fact that puts it slightly above my three critons is the fact that they have that really solid plan at the end where Xan where is like, shoot. And Aaron shoots and doesn't ask any mm-hmm. questions. That little teamy moment. And also, I kind of adore the giant hand that comes out <laughs> of the wall. <laughs> oh my it's God. so bad, but it's kind of like, that, that's where it crosses over from being so bad. It's kind of fun. Yeah, I hear that.
0: <laughs> I hear that. So um, I also want to give a shout out that when we asked on Twitter what everybody's favorite moment was, like I said, most people chose the moment for Crackers Don't Matter, which was, you know, John saying, you know, humans are superior. <laughs> My eyes are 20-20 and they're 20 blue. and they're blue. <laughs> but Farscape writer Ricky Manning said that his favorite moment from season two was the rap party. And then he refused to give us <laughs> any details, which I feel like is a tease.
1: <laughs> oh, Frootium, you have to give us details. So he wrote, what, Mind the Baby this season and Won't Get Fooled Again. Ooh, both solid episodes. Yeah, I really like Won't Get Fooled Again also. That's another one of my top m- episodes from this season. Because that's another one where it takes hilarity and abstract, I don't know, dream space mm-hmm. to the, like the nth level. And really Crays and Stilettos is still the best thing ever. Oh my gosh, amazing. And when he's when he like (laughs)
0: was holding the dog and he's like, That'll come to forty two fourteen (laughs) dollars and fifty two cents.
1: Oh, he's so good. Yeah. And at the same time you have that that underlying deeper story going on with scorpius and the chip and you know john's a prisoner and he's trapped and he's trying to be broken and you have that moment with his mom you know Mm. where his mom comes in and you get this you go from this really kind of rollicking out there episode to suddenly this very very tight family drama moment and the contrast again kind of like crackers don't matter the contrast just nails it yeah yeah i'll go with you there so who was the mvp of this season i think Chiana. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, because it's funny, rewatching it this time around, and because we've been talking about a lot of what's going on in the episodes and and who's doing what, I feel like Shiana is kind of my secret MVP in the way that she has become such an integral part of the crew, and we've talked about her stepping up to be the adult in the situation sometimes with uh, Dream a Little Dream, and her relationship with Dargo is becoming a thing that's more central this season. And her refusing to be anybody but herself and Clockwork Nabari, where she gets the central central storyline. I don't know. I think she's kind of the, the underdog MPV, MVP. MVP. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think Chiana is kind of the underdog MVP of the season for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and
0: we also had Taking the Stone. That was this season, right? Yeah. 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 Like all the Chiana episodes have been really, really good this season.
1: Yeah, and it's like, season two is like, how did she not exist in season one? Like, I've already forgotten that she wasn't there for, like, what, 14 episodes? Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, and speaking of Chiana, we actually did get some listener feedback that maybe our interpretation of Jothi was a little forgiving, because we heard from some listeners that they found Jothi to be kind of skeevy. They found it kind of predatory that he was kind of preying on her when she was at this really weak moment with her relationship with Dargo, and also when she was emotionally weak after Aaron's death
1: hmm I could definitely see that. I remember the first time watching this really disliking Jothy because of, of him moving in on Chiana. And I think I am a little bit more forgiving this time around. Yeah.
0: So. Well, I think this time around you and I have both had like many more conversations about the inherent weaknesses in Dargo and Shiana's relationship. Because I remember the first time around, I was team Dargo and Shiana. Like I was a hardcore shipper. And I think this time around, I still ship them because I think they're good for each other. Like I think they're really good for each other. But also you really do begin to see just the emotional maturity level difference and also Mm -hmm. just what they want difference. Like I think it says something that... Dargo wants to settle down and have a farm. And I cannot see Chiana as a farm (laughs) wife, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. I can definitely see that. Because yeah, I adore Dargo and Chiana together for a lot of the same reasons you do. And we've talked about them. They're just, they really do balance each other out very well. But at the same time, as somebody who's gone through many more relationships in my own life too, like, yeah, those end goals do matter for a relationship going forward, and they have to work through that Mm -hmm. at some point, you know, if they're ever going to really work.
0: So we got a voice memo from a listener, which I'm super excited to play. It's from Jason. Let's take a listen to his season two
2: thoughts. Hello, Kay and Taz. Big fan of the show, Farscape Friday podcast. Just wanted to give you some thoughts that I had on season two. I think, though it's not the best of the four seasons, it is one of the most important and probably the most fun. In particular, most important due to Crichton's growing insanity at the end of the season. Uh, you've you guys have commented on one of John's mechanisms of coping outside of his pop culture references, or him being crazy manic John, which is a show he puts on to sort of win confrontations. But to actually see real crazy John, what Crichton looks like when he is losing his mind shows us a comparison of what it really looks like for John to go crazy and really delineates that when John is pretending to be Manic John, it is in fact just an act, and real crazy John looks a lot different. Also, I think having a main character go insane is groundbreaking, and having a villain actually put themselves literally inside the main character or the hero's head, I don't think it had ever been done before at the time. So, yeah. Yeah. Great season. I love listening to you guys' insights and thank you so much. Keep doing what you do.
1: Thanks, Jason. Yeah, that's John's journey throughout this whole season is probably one of the reasons that season two was actually one of my favorites. I agree, it's not necessarily the strongest of the seasons, but it is definitely a really solid, really good season of television.
0: Yeah. And I love that exploration of kind of the difference between John as like Manic John and his defense mechanism and his way of kind of thwarting enemies and especially through thwarting their expectations. Like once you have that moment from in Look at the Princess where, you know, he's going to Bracca and he's like, oh, if you shoot me there, you'll kill me, kill myself. You know, he's like going manic. Mm -hmm. And it's like Bracca as a military personnel doesn't really know how to deal with that. And so you can see how it really works, especially on people that have narratives in their own head of how things are supposed to go. And I think it is a good point to point out that we've mentioned that it's an act and the reason we know it's an act is because we see John when he's crazy and when he's crazy, he's the John that can't hold put up the, the King and that is struggling, you know, is punching mirrors and is talking to himself. And so I think it, I think season two really does kind of build that so that in future seasons, you are able to really tell with John what's pretending and what's not.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like his, His fake crazy, his manic crazy is an extrovert style. Maybe not extrovert, but external style. Mm -hmm. It's an external style to... Keeps his enemies off balance and put them on the back foot, so they don't have time to react to him. Mm-hmm. And whereas his actual going crazy is much more of a turning inward and an internal thing for him. You know, it's a much quieter losing it, and also trying to hide it. Like he's hiding it from his friends. He's telling Aaron that no, I'm fine. I'm I'm not losing my mind. This is what he says at the end of Beware of Dog. So there's that that contrast between the two of them is is definitely apparent. Yeah, yeah,
0: and also I do like the point of. Of this season just being important and also that it is fun because I feel like as we've gone through all these episodes, even the ones we just mentioned that we didn't really care for, I think that as a whole, the series just is super enjoyable. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Season
1: two is just really yeah. fun
0: to watch. And especially when you're watching it kind of close together like we have been, it it feels like it flows really well.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's a good season. Overall, it, it holds together quite well and it has these really nice kind of nice arcs going on. With John and Scorpius, especially, pretty much holding the whole thing together. Yeah, yeah. So I have a question for you. Yeah. This season, we had Stark arrive. Mm-hmm. We s- it introduced to him in the hidden memory, at the end of season one, and we had him kind of become a recurring character throughout this season. So, what do you think of Stark overall, and what do you think he added to to the ensemble?
0: Hmm. I think. Hmm. What do I think Stark added? I think that unlike Chiana, where there was like a super clear gap for her to fill, because Aaron was never going to be, you know, like the sex siren, and Zan, although Zan was much more sexual than Aaron is, Zan also felt filled the role of kind of like the the priest or the peaceful spiritual one, kind of like wa- um, kind of like Shepard Book did in Firefly. I feel like Stark coming in just added chaos, like he added an element of chaos. And also, he was really just an impetus for the plot once Mm -hmm. he came back on. I think that as a one-off, he was kind of a, you know, the canary in the mind for what we were going to see from John. And I think that once he was there, he just became like an impetus for plot. Like he kept moving plot forward even when yeah. we didn't think he was doing it really well. Even when we had problems with his plans, <laughs> he was still the one that was coming up with plans. Yeah. I think that, yeah. I think that Dime dichotomy though does really show maybe what he would add to the series because I think that the care, the c- the series in a way does need somebody else who doesn't necessarily have the backstory that the hit that the characters already have at this point, like he's going to add some more, some more depth to the se- to the series as it goes on, and I mean no spoilers, but yeah, keep in mind that he and Zan essentially fill the same role in terms of, in terms of ensemble wise, who they are.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I like that you said he's an agent of chaos because that's actually what I like most about Stark like he has been tortured for years on years on end he has there are consequences to that in that he is unstable he is manic a lot of the time he does go off the hook as you said he's like the warning signs for Crichton going crazy like he already is crazy too in his own way and I like that he is kind of the wrench thrown in a lot of works and But at the same time, he's trying to work with them, but kind of, you know, he has his own agenda and goals, too, that don't always line up. And so, like the other characters, they often have, Rigel in particular comes to mind, like they often will work at odds with each other to, to keep going forward, even as they're going forward. So I like that he comes back. I like that he's kind of an intermittent character. He's mostly at the end of the season is when we see him. He comes back at the un- ugly truth. Is that right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And then disperses for a little while. <laughs> and then comes <laughs> back for... And then comes back for the, for the end game. So yeah, I, th- I, like, I like having him. I like that we have a character that we've met before from season one returning. Because mm-hmm. I kind of like that continuity, too.
0: Yeah, when he comes to when he comes to Zan in Dimey Dichotomy, and he's like, everybody's leaving, and then there's kind of this moment of where he he says, you know, would you be okay spending the rest of our lives together? And mm-hmm. so I think that maybe that's the other thing that he brings is because Zan is a sexual creature, and I don't think it's wrong for her to have a love interest. Plus, no. I'll be honest. Um, I am kind of always on board when we invert tropes and I feel like Stark very much is kind of an inversion of the women in refrigerators trope because he's a dude and Zan is like the much more central character than he is. So there is kind of this, you know, this tension <laughs> of like, ooh, is he going to die so that Zan will have angst, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like I like that Zan has a love interest, too. It makes me happy for her.
0: Yeah. I feel like, though, I feel like, though, like, I I know you like Stark, but he's definitely not one of my favorite first game characters. (laughs) I think more because, like, I don't know, something about him, like, rubs me the wrong way.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. We can have differing opinions on this. So I answered the MVP question. Now your turn to answer the MVP question. Who is your MVP of the season? Mm,
0: man, Chiana is such a good choice, though. <laughs> Chiana is amazing. I mean, Pilot is too. Like he does so many like MVP like heavy carry moments this season, just in between like all the different things he's doing. I'm gonna go with Aaron. I know that's kind mm-hmm. of a cheat because she's like essentially the secondary <laughs> main character. So I'm like, but at the same okay, time, it is
1: never wrong to pick Aaron's son. I'm sorry, it's just not right.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I love Aaron. I mean, Chiana is like good though. I think Chiana is like the Chiana. Definitely, I would happily give her the trophy. But I feel like if we're gonna if we're gonna differ it a little bit, I'm gonna go with Aaron because I feel like Aaron this season has grown. Like she grew mm-hmm. a lot in season one. We talked about her how her arc was really awesome to watch and I feel like her growth in season two has been much smaller but at the same time it's been much deeper we get all that nice rich backstory in the way we weren't and then also we get moments where she is just growing as a person like in taking the stone where she has these interactions with Chiana that are not violent and that are incredibly empathetic
2: we Mm -hmm. also
0: have you know her figuring out what loving John means to her and then also we have episodes, I know you didn't care for it, but I really did think it was interesting, her development in the locket, where we get yeah. to see that of all of them, she would survive if given, if given the opportunity to completely shed her past. That she would probably be the only one that would happily survive and continue with a happy life. Mm-hmm. And I especially like that at the end of the series, we kind of get like her to come back home to like her being a military officer. I think Erin is such a strong character and she's going to continue to get stronger. But I feel like season two really does kind of become her home, where in a lot of ways, the growth we see from here, like in the other seasons and then the miniseries, really comes from her place of finding who she is in
1: season two. Yeah, and her place with the others. I mean, she spent season one doing that, but now she's living it, like, really embracing it. And you see that with her relationship with John. Like, it becomes much, much more solid between the two of them, I feel like. Because there's there's always been a lot of trust between them, but now it's, like, it's just there. Like, she's the one who comes to John and says, mm-hmm. hey, you're acting weird, we want to talk about it. You know, and actually asking him to talk or is Mm -hmm. this this reversal of their usual roles and just how much in sync as partners that they are for many episodes of the season. One of my favorite examples is is a beware of dog. I just that one's just a fun episode where they're just like buddies, (laughs) you know, just getting the job done. You can't ask him that. Who's (laughs) going to say yes to that? That's, that's like so my butt. That's like the buddy cop episode. That's how I think of it in my head. I think that's one reason I, lo- I love that episode so much. Yeah. So, yeah, you can't go wrong with picking Aaron for that. And the other thing that I really like about the season with her is her relationship with Craze mm. and Talon. So, we have started out the season with Mind the Baby, where she wants to help Talon and Craze has control of him. And there, you know, there's this custody battle that we've talked about. And,. Talon comes back periodically, mostly through the Moya finding a ship that Talon shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sounds worse than I thought it would saying that out loud, <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> so you have the Hologians and out of their minds, you have the guys in the ugly truth, what were mm-hmm. they called? Placadians. Placavians, that's right. So you have you have Talon and Crace kind of showing up in the background, and then you have Krace's return a couple times. Mm-hmm. And just the change in Aaron and Crace's relationship over the course of the season is one that I find really interesting, because they come from this world that they have both been exiled from. And then, of course, you have Krace being the reason that Aaron was exiled in the first place, and, you know, her slamming him in the... And the hidden memory, and with the uh, Aurora chair at the end of season one, so you have this complicated relationship between the two of them. But now they seem to be coming, coming to to a I don't know, a kind of not really friendship, but a different place in the relationship. Yeah, where they both worry about Talon. They want to do right by him. Is it, is it like strange parents? Maybe I don't know. I yeah. don't have the strange parents, but p- people who they have. Somebody they care about in common that they want to do right by, and so forces them to work together.
0: Yeah, it forces them to like get over their own history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's good. I still can't get over though. Crace like dissing Aaron at the same time as he's asking her for a giant favor. He's like, "You grew up institutional. I grew up moral."
1: <laughs> that's Crace for you, though,
0: right? Yeah, love him. Yeah, okay. Because Crace yeah. is like a character. I feel like. I feel like I love essentially every character on this show and I like, I like Stark. So I feel like it's so funny that like the difference for me between love and like is like, so is like, <laughs> it's like, I just love everybody with such an open heart. And then I'm like, Stark, I'm like, you're okay. You're,
1: you're all right. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But how many people like starting out season one would have said by the end of season two, they would really like Captain Crace, you know? And that's like the strength of his, of his character arc over the second season.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I but I do feel like that this is the same way when Chiana came in and I was like, oh, my gosh, my love for Chiana has developed into like the passion of a thousand sons. And, like the same for <laughs> Rigel, where I'm like, I think if you are just watching it through the first time, these characters aren't necessarily super likable. It's literally just because I've watched all of the seasons mm. that like I'm at the point where I'm like, oh, my God, I love you. you know? <laughs> like, I know you get better. And I mean. It has been pointed out that Rigel, like these past two episodes, has been super stand-up,
1: you know? Mm -hmm. I gotta say, Rigel had maybe like half of my favorite moments of season two. Like just of his one-liners and whatnot. So you have, (laughs) I am nobody's puppet, (laughs) which (laughs) is still like the best. Thank you, Farscape Riders. You've made my, my life complete with that line. And then he has the whole con- confrontation with Durka surprise at the end of season 2 and then he like has Durka's head on a stick and it's like mob boss Rigel and I'm just like oh I love you Rigel that's <laughs> just so badass for somebody who's 2 foot tall and you know it's kind of you know never one that you think of as being dominating in any way but I feel like we got a lot more of those moments of seeing who Rigel was as a Heinarian dominar and those moments kind of shining through because you look at the princess trilogy he was the consummate politician with the Mm -hmm. empress which was kind of fun to watch yeah as well in addition to his his and Shiana's you know relationship and and stepping up and whatnot to to save Zan and
0: yeah their friendship developing (laughs) Uh. it was really good yeah I mean yeah and actually that's another good example of kind of a quieter episode that I think is really underrated you know is when Rigel and Chiana are like, let's go to court. Let's be lawyers. Let's save the <laughs> Without <their lives."> lying. <laughs> I think, okay, so I think the only thing we haven't really addressed yet is John and Scorpius. We kind of have touched on both of them individually, yeah. but maybe let's talk about them for a Scorpius.
1: second. Yeah. I think, I know i said it several times, but Scorpius is one of my favorite villains of ever, of ever, in any TV show ever produced. And he's because he's smart, he's scary, and he puts the chip in John's head mm-hmm. and that's literally why and I love how through the chip we get this relationship between John and Scorpius that is that is twisted and dark and codependent and utterly terrifying at the end of the season you yeah know? like that scene in in Liar's Guns and Money part one when John has tried to kill Scorpius but gives it away too soon mm-hmm. and Scorpius is able to force him to help him and save his life against John's will. You yeah. know? uh, oh, shivers. Yeah,
0: it's good. Well, and also I I was thinking about when we were listening to Jason's voice memo, I was really thinking about this idea of a your main character going crazy. Because mm-hmm. um when he mentioned that, I was also thinking Battlestar Galactica, where you have those early episodes with Baltar where he's seeing the Cylon in his head and no one else can see it. And he feels like he's going crazy, but I feel like you always kind of feel like he deserved it because mm-hmm. he was the jerk that literally you know gave away the planetary secrets. And then he proceeds to just do really, really bad things, you yeah. know, and he never really truly loses his mind. I feel like yeah. he's always just in it for self self-service. And I feel like the contrast with John is that the chip in John's head really gets at this idea of John losing who he is like yeah. that line where he says I am in control of me it's like so painful and then when I was rewatching, I mentioned it in the, at the end of Liar's Guns and Money I was recently rewatching it again with my husband and I noticed that as John is trying to put up the king the representation of himself there is one other piece on the board that is standing upright and that is the opposite king hmm And I feel like maybe that was an accident, but I also do feel like, yeah, I mean, I also do feel like it says something that John is sitting here and he is trying so hard to keep himself, to keep himself, to be himself. And then the other piece on the board that isn't laying down yet is Scorpius. So I think that. As much as we've kind of gotten some interesting details about Scorpius this season, what with us learning about his past and that his mother was raped by a Skarin and that's, you know, he literally hates half of himself and he Mm -hmm. would very happily annihilate the Skarins if given the chance, that as much as we're kind of given that that reason to grow empathy with him, this season still is presenting him as the ultimate bad guy, as, you know, the king that is left standing after he has wiped out Jon's board. And I think that having Scorpius in his head just takes it to this whole other level.
1: Yeah, especially since if you remember that Scorpius is also John's abuser, his torturer, Mm -hmm. and this person who is chasing him and hunting him down and trying to get other people to turn him in. So all of that amped up and now he's in his head and he can't even escape into his own mind from this person who is after him. And it's just the trauma of that. I mean, look in the princess. He gives up because of that. You know, he still is suffering from PTSD, from the torture. And I think that comes out in like, you know, when he says to Aaron right then, it's like, I can't go on. I can't get away from him. This is the best option for me. Mm -hmm. And again, even another step further than that, that was being turned into a statue for 80 cycles with Scorpius waiting on the other end, potentially. At the end of part three of Liars, Guns and Money, he's telling Dargo, kill me. Like mm-hmm. kill me, take my life away from me because I do not have control over it anymore. Mm-hmm. And he can't can't even commit suicide because the other thing that's on that board. And don't tell me he didn't try. Is Winona his gun? Oh yeah, yeah. You know, so he was uh, to me that says he's he's trying to commit suicide. He's trying to, to kill Scorpius in his head the only way he can. Except Scorpius in his head, Harvey is preventing him from doing that, and he can't even escape himself. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. it's so sad at the same time as it's really good. And I'm also glad he doesn't die because I love John Crichton. Oh
0: my gosh, yeah. What would it be without? John Crichton? (laughs) That would be a very boring TV show. But yeah, yeah, that's interesting about kind of pushing a character to his breaking point this early in the series. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like we were just talking about shows that do darkness just to do darkness. And I feel like there's a lot of shows that, you know, like they kind of get to the point and then by like season four... They're like, ooh, this is really, really dark. You know, like, let's go darker,
1: you know? Yeah. And, and then you're like, why am I watching the show? Because now I'm depressed all the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have watched, stopped watching shows for that reason.
0: <laughs> I've definitely done that. Oh, my gosh. There have been a lot of TV shows where I was just like, nope, I'm sorry. I'm not interested in watching people torture themselves. But yep. you always feel for John. And I think it goes back to that thing you just said where, you know, this show has pushed him to the point where he definitely has thought about suicide before. And yet... It grows from there. It doesn't continue going down like the darkness loophole. Like, yes, mm-hmm. Farscape will get, I mean, if you're watching it for the first time, I'm not going to tell you that after this episode, it becomes pushing daisies, but <laughs> um, it it definitely doesn't ever leave you hanging there. It doesn't ever leave you as a viewer, like stranded in this in this desert of unhappiness, you
1: mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Well, that's one thing that Aaron says in Diamond Dichotomy. She reminds John, hope is a word that he brought to this ship. And Mm -hmm. I think that is certainly true of the show as well. These are characters that are in a very difficult situation all around. They're mostly poor. (laughs) They now have a damaged ship because they tried to get rich. Um, I guess they are kind of rich now, but they're spending it all on medical bills. Mm -hmm. And they're being hunted by by peacekeepers and other people who want the information that John has. And so as we said, I think we said this like two episodes ago, they're not necessarily happy people by and large, but they do have each other and they do have hope, hope that they will find Jothi, hope that they will get back to Hyneria, hope that, that someday John will go back to Earth, you know? And I think that's something that breathes life to all the, underneath all the darkness that it's, there is spring on the horizon.
0: Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And I think I, I think that's interesting. You mentioned Jothi because we talked about it a little earlier, but I do think that Jothi is kind of the singular representation that you can get what you want. Like mm-hmm. in Clockwork Nabari, we were talking about how John kind of turns to Chiana and he's like, "Since when do people like us ever get what you uh, ever get what we want?" But Jothi has been something that dargo has been holding on to his entire time in prison, and so we do see that like these characters aren't always going to have bad things happen to them. Like yeah, mm-hmm. Jothi maybe sleeping with his mother-in-law is like sketchy, but Dargo finding Jothi and getting him out of like slavery not yeah. a bad thing.
1: Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. It's a huge win for them despite how it all ends up playing out.
0: Yeah. So, next week we're going to be looking at Season of Death, which I, I, I know it sounds really dark, and it kind of is really dark. But it's don't like not not that dark.
1: It's not as dark as *Die Dichotomy*. Yeah, there's, Let's put it that way.
0: I think the show would have to work really hard to be as dark as *Die Dichotomy*.
1: Yeah, yeah. So please join us for season three. Season three is amazing. So you don't want to miss it. Like you really do not want to miss this season of television because it is incredible and. I promise you will not be disappointed. Do you? Is that your favorite season? It's a toss-up. Like I love season two. I think I would call season two my favorite, but season three is like a smidge behind. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's more for things that happened in my personal life that made watching season three difficult for me. Mm-hmm. I was moving at the time, um, so I I missed seeing several of the episodes in real time, which when I wasn't in fandom at that during that period anyway long story short i love season three a lot it is incredible it is many farscape fans favorite season and it takes everything to a whole new level
0: Mm -hmm. and if you get a chance
1: go ahead and watch
0: abed from community talking about season three (laughs) (laughs) because i feel like i feel like that moment really crystallizes what it feels like to be a farscape fan where you're like
1: i just like talking about it (laughs) yep yep oh my god that was what made me like fall even more in love with community oh i love community oh i okay i love community
0: but community (laughs) was a show i stopped watching around season four
1: yeah same (laughs) talk about dropping shows yeah all right don't drop farscape though don't drop farscape farscape's worth it
0: all right have a wonderful week people and we'll see you next week
1: all right bye bye